Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Again, welcome those of you that are watching online. We're so glad that, that you've joined us tonight. Those of you that are here, are able to come here tonight. We begin, well, let me pray over the message. Father, we just, again, thank you. And we turn our attention now to your word. And we believe with all our heart the things that you want to show us tonight, not so much to our mind, but you want to deposit in our hearts. Your word teaches us that there are things which our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that you have prepared for those who love you. But your spirit's been given to us to search the depths of your heart and to reveal those to us. And so we ask you tonight, Holy Spirit, to do just that. We yield ourselves to you to do whatever it is you choose to do, to minister in whatever way you choose to minister. We ask you to reveal the Father's heart towards us, that we may trust him more and love him more and, and walk with him more, to open our hearts to give him more entrance into our hearts and into our lives, that he may be able to do in us, for us, and through us his will. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, welcome tonight. We're so glad that you're with us, those of you that are here, those of you are joining online. This is the night when we have a number of our uh, small groups have started tonight. So we have a number of people that are in those, and we're excited about those. Those are so important. I began uh, last week to talk about a subject that I talked about a year ago and I've talked about a number of times, and it is healing, what the Bible says about physical, what's sometimes called as divine healing. And we're talking about it because I believe that it is very important to understand what the Bible says about it because it reveals, it reveals a, very, a very significant insight into God's character and God's heart and God's nature, which I believe is one of the reasons Satan opposes this and tries to get us to, to believe things that are not in the Scriptures. We talked last week as we begin to look at this to realize that we all have some preconceived ideas of things. And those of us that would have been raised in church, we've been taught traditions, and there are all kinds of different traditions, and we spent a little time last time talking about what traditions are. And there are some traditions that are good. Paul instructs Timothy to teach the sicker traditions, but those are the traditions that he taught. But very often, man takes, and especially what we call religion, takes our experiences because they don't line up with the word and we form traditions around our experiences because they make us feel better, they give us understanding and an explanation for things because our mind is designed in such a way we want to understand everything. And I think that goes back to the fall because what Satan tempted Adam and Eve to do was to lift their understanding over and above God's direction to the spirit. That's something we'll talk about later on when we're talking about renewing the mind. And that's true when it comes about any subject about God. So what we tend to do is when we don't understand something, when we don't like something, when something goes that we don't have an explanation for, we come up with our explanation for it, and then that becomes a doctrine or a tradition. And then when we use that to, to eliminate our openness to let God speak to us through our word, then we experience what Jesus talks about and we looked at last week is the traditions of man interfere with the fu function of the Word of God. So we don't want to do that. We want to allow God's Word to renew, help renew our mind, to, uh, to renew our mind to, and I'm in the wrong notes. Let's see. Nope, this is right. Okay. Yes, 
Okay, I just forgot to change the date on it. All right, praise God. Okay, so what we began to look at last week is that, that what the Bible says about healing and God's will to heal and God's desire to heal is a direct insight into his, into his character. Now, let's just, let's just take it out of the context of, of the Bible and take it out of the context of God and us and just put it in, in, a, in a context of a family. I'm a father. My wife and I have four children. We now have five grandchildren and one great-grandchild. And, and when our, our children were in, living at home with us and we were raising them and, and we were responsible for them, uh, if something was wrong with them physically, emotionally, we had a responsibility to help them with that, to overcome that. And, 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 and because we love them and we care about them. So if they were suffering from something, we wanted to get it taken care of. In fact, I think I used the example last week that if our child, a small child especially, has, has an earache and you, they're, they're crying and they're screaming, a parent, especially a mother, will do almost anything to relieve that earache, even if they had to take it on themselves, if that would relieve it. And, and because of how much we love them and care about them, their physical well-being as well as the development of their soul and their spirit and everything else is important to us. But somehow, when we bring it over to God as our Father, we tend to think that God just doesn't care about that aspect of our lives because obviously the spiritual is far more, is far more important because it's eternal, but that doesn't mean God doesn't care about your physical well-being. It doesn't care about your material situation in life. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about it. But when we take these doctrines and we eliminate God's involvement in them, we're really saying God doesn't care about, about these things. And last time I taught about this, I, I used an example out of several scriptures where James especially, where it talks about if, 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 you, if you have the resources to meet somebody's need and they're in need and you don't do it, how is the love of God in you? And yet we look at God who has the resource to heal us and we think, well, if God doesn't care about us, that's okay enough to heal us. And yet he's expecting us to act better than he acts himself. And that just doesn't, doesn't make sense. These things don't really add up when you begin to look them in the light of God's word. So that's what we began to talk about last week. We also talked about the fact that physical healing is very much a part of the gospel that Jesus preached and demonstrated and also told us to preach. We showed scriptures that he, where Jesus equated healing with the good news of the gospel. He instructed his disciples to, to combine those things together, and he demonstrated the compassion that God has towards suffering, physical suffering. God's heart in nature, and this is so important to understand what we're going to begin to talk about next. God's heart and nature is to redeem us completely from the effects of what Satan did in the garden from the bondage that he brought in, from the, from the sin that holds us in bondage and corrupts us, from the death that's the result of that, as well as the physical suffering that he has brought into our lives through that sin. Jesus made it very clear. John 10, 10, can't make it any simpler or clearer. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So if it's stealing from you, it's killing something or killing you, and it's destroying something. We know where it came from. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So God's heart and God's character is to redeem us or restore us out of 
whatever Satan's been able to bring into our lives through sin. And the, the doorway to that redemption and deliverance, of course, is the cross. And we'll begin to talk about that towards the end of this evening, and then we'll get more into it, into it next week. So the scriptures we're going to look at tonight are all revealing this heart of God to deliver and to restore uh, mankind because he loves us from the effects of what Satan has been able to bring into us through the curse that he brought into the world. So let's look, start again looking at where we ended up last time, which is God's relationship with Israel. And I taught you that God, in order to reveal, this, the whole Bible is God revealing to mankind a revelation of what he's like that was lost in Genesis 3 in the fall. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation that he made, Adam and Eve, they were in perfect fellowship with God. They could see him as he is. He could see them. There was nothing hidden from them, nothing hidden from God, and nothing hidden from God about God to them. Pure openness. The first thing they do when they sin is they go and hide from God, and now they can't see him the way they could see him before. And God, ever since then, is the, the Bible is a story of God restoring that understanding and that revelation of it, which shows you how far we fell when you look at the Old Testament, especially, and all that God had to go through just to establish a setting so that he could send his son to begin to reveal to us what God is truly like. That's how far we fell in our separation and our ignorance of God. So part of God's plan to restore this and give an understanding I taught you last week is God understands this principle that we learn about people through relationships. So you can learn something about somebody in a relationship. So you can learn something about a couple by just being around them what their marriage is like tells you something about what they are like. So God decided to teach the rest of the Nate world, what he's like by having a relationship with a people that he chose for himself. But instead of picking a people that existed, God formed a nation for himself, and he formed it out of a relationship starting with one man, Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then through them, through the 12 sons, basically, there's a little variation in there, through the 12 sons of the 12 tribes, of Israel. So Israel is technically not the name of a nation. Israel is the name of a man who God has a relationship with him and his descendants. And so, what we're, I gave that by background again because what we're going to see is God revealing himself to this nation now that they've come out of 430 years of bondage in Egypt where they lived in a nation that for 400 years they were, they were exposed to a nation that was highly developed, highly developed in their sciences, highly developed in their, in their, in their, in their medicine. And so they had medicines and treatments, which I don't know that whether we even understand them yet. So Egypt represents the world in the very best that man's knowledge and mind can do. And this is what the Israelites have been exposed to, and this is their understanding of what healing and health comes from. And God wants to show them that he wants to be their healer. So he brings them out. They're about three weeks, days out in the desert. They run out of water, and so they find this stream. In fact, we'll, bring it, we'll begin to bring in to read it here. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Keep going. When they came to Marah, which was a, a stream, 
they could not drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. Now, the word bitter also has a connotation of, of poisonous or brackish. So this water would have made them sick. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. Keep going. And the people complained to Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Keep going. And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he, when he cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. In other words, the waters were healed. The waters were made sweet. So just look at what happens here. You've got water that's necessary for life, that if they drink this water, it's going to make them sick and it may kill them. So Moses cries out to God, and God points to him a tree. And when the tree is put in the water, it heals the water. The tree, this is, this is a type of Christ and the cross. Because Christ on that cross brought healing for us. So when the cross was put into the water, it brought healing. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. So this isn't just some casual comment God is making to Moses about Israel. Oh, by the way, this is, just, this is a thought I have. No, God is establishing a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And verse 26. And the Lord said, If... You will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the, on the Egyptians. That's the judgment. I will not judge you. For I am the Lord who heals you. Literally that is in the Hebrew is, is Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha. I am, and we talked about this last time, that means I am the self-existent one. The same name he revealed to Moses in the burning bush when Moses said, who am I going to say sent me? Just tell him I am. I am that I am. So now God is telling I am, and this is part of who I am. I am your physician. I am your healer. So God is revealing to them, although you've come out of a nation and they're the very best the human mind could develop at that time, could provide a measure of healing. I want to be your physician. I want to bring healing to you. I want to bring restoration to you. So God begins to reveal himself to them. And it's interesting that God reveals them in a number of different ways, but the first way God reveals himself to them is that he wants to be their physician, the one that makes them whole, that restores them. Remember, God's character, God's heart, is to restore and redeem his people from everything that sin and Satan brought into their lives to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, that's Exodus 15, 26. Now, let's go to Exodus 23. God is going to expand this concept. And he said, and so you shall serve the Lord your God. Let's stop there a second. 
We're not going to go back and look at it, but if you look at the verses before, what God has just told them is that I'm going to bring you into a land and there are going to be other, other nations in there that worship other gods and I'm going to give you victory over them and you're going to drive them out. But he said, you're not going to drive them out quickly. You're not, because if you do that, then the wild beasts will come in and they'll destroy the land. But you're going to destroy them one people at a time. So it's going to take a while to do this. But when you do this, when you drive them out, make sure that you don't take on their gods. And this is exactly what they did do. Be careful. He'll tell them, don't intermarry. Don't give your, don't take, don't take their, their, their daughters for your son's wives. Because what they will do is they will bring their gods with them and then you will begin to worship their gods. So God's stern warning to them is, I'm going to give you victory. But when I give you victory, don't bring their gods into your life because I am the one who wants to be your God. So that's what the so you shall serve the Lord your God. Make sure you put God first and he will bless your bread and your water. Now, I'm not telling you not to do this, but for years, I just, we just, you know, Lord, you know, we bless this fruit, and I stopped doing that because God said if you serve him, he'll bless your bread and water. So what I do is I thank him that because we're serving you, this food is blessed by you. But look at one of the blessings. Now, listen, I want this to sink in. And I will take sickness from the midst of you. Remember, we're looking at this aspect of God's character that, that he, his heart and his nature is to redeem our lives from everything that Satan brings into our lives through the fall and through sin. And he can bring it into your lives, whether it's your sin or just sin, because we're, the, the world is under a curse. We'll talk about that later on. I will take sickness from your midst. That's the promise he's made to them. Go on to the next verse. And no one shall suffer a miscarriage. There's a good verse for you, those of you that are pregnant. No one will suffer a miscarriage or be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. It's not God's will that anyone's life should be cut short. It's not God's will. And I will fulfill the number of your days. So here's two places where God has made, he's revealed to them his heart towards them. I want to be your physician. And if you'll just do what I say, I will remove sickness. It's very important for where we're going to go. I will remove sickness from your midst. That's his heart that's his will, that's his desire. Now, unfortunately, this generation did not do what he told them to do. Because they, they, he told them, well, I'm not going to go through the whole exercise he took them through, but he was training them every day to learn to trust him. So that when they got to the edge of the land that God was promising them, he'd already told them, that there were enemies in there, that there were nations in there. But he had promised them that if you will go in there, I will remove those nations. I will give you victory over them. And most of you know the story. They got up to the edge of the promised land after about a year of going through, through the wilderness. And by the way, God, somewhere in there, I think it's in Deuteronomy, God says the journey was about 11 days. 
But I couldn't take you on the short version of it because when you took the short version, you would have seen the enemies and you would have turned back to Egypt. So there was a much shorter way for them to get to the promised land. But because God knew them, he knew he couldn't take them by the short route. He had to take them by the long route because God needed that time to train them and help them to grow in their faith so that when they got to the test, they'd pass the test. I wonder if that would translate into our lives. I wonder how many things God could get done in our lives much quicker, much easier, if we would just learn to trust him. But God often has to take us through a circuitous route where we have to grow through the different tests that we go through so that we, we are forced to develop our faith instead of doing it because we know it's the right thing to do. But they go through this test, they go through this virtually a year, and they get to the land and we find out they didn't pass the test because they send in 12 scribes, 12 spies, to, to just verify that what God told them about the land was true. And you know the story, the spies come back, and they give a report. Ten of the spies report, yes, everything God said about the land was true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they brought back a cluster of grapes that's so big, they had to carry it on a pole between two men. And here's the fruit of the land. So everything God's promised about it, but... They're giants in the land, and they're bigger than we are, and we can't go in and take the land. God had already told them the giants were there, and God told them that he would overcome those giants for them. But because they never developed their faith through the exercises that God gave them, although they had God's promise, when they got to see the enemy face to face, they were more moved by what they saw than what God had promised. And God was training them so that they would be more moved by what God promised than by what they saw. So every challenge you go through, whether it's a physical challenge, whatever challenges you go through, every one of them is an opportunity for you to either grow in your faith by learning to trust in what God says about it over what your senses tell you, or else you give in and learn to yield to your senses. And God's not going to condemn you, but we need to grow in our faith because that's, God will keep taking you around the mountain until you learn the lesson that he wants you to learn. So they come to this place, they come back, and ten of these, ten of these spies give a report because they not only say, everything God said about, about this land is, is true, but there's giants in the land. And by the way, God said they were there too, and therefore we cannot overcome them because it says, because we were there, we were, there were giants in the land, and we, are as, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. So they evaluated what they could do by what they thought their enemy thought of them. It's interesting because when the next generation goes in and the two spies end up with, uh, or the spies end up with Rahab, she said, we didn't understand why you didn't come in 40 years ago because we were scared of you. We were hiding in the city. So the enemy that they thought, the enemy that they thought was ready to devour them was afraid of them because they had heard that Jehovah God was with them. Anyway, I got a little sidetracked there. So what happens is this generation that God made these promises to sees the enemy and chooses not to go in because they claim we can't enter the promised land. And so God has to wait till that whole generation that, was, that came out of Egypt 
died in the wilderness, so the next generation that did not grow up in Egypt would enter in. So although God got that first generation out of Egypt, he never got Egypt out of that generation. He had to wait for their children to go into the promised land. And so as they get this, so now what we're going to look at is this is now about 39, 40 years later, God is renewing the promise he made to their fathers. So let's go to to Deuteronomy, the next verse. (coughs) Deuteronomy is a story where Moses recounts to this second generation as they're on the doorway into this promised land. He goes back over the story of their journey and what God's done for them, and now he makes a promise. And the Lord will take away... Now he's talking to the second generation. And the Lord will take away from you... There are other promises he's made before this. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. Here's that promise made again, this time to their children. The Lord will take away from you all sickness, will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you've known but he will lay them on those who hate you. So here again, God is promising them, if they serve him, to remove sickness from their midst. Again, we're talking about God's character. God is expressing his heart and his desire to them. All right. We're going to now look at King David. King David, we're going, we're going generations ahead now. King David was, a, was king of Israel, and the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he knew God. He, he developed a relationship with God while he was a young boy as a shepherd over his father's sheep out in the wilderness. He had to because all he had was God. He had these sheep he was taking care of. And we know that there were lions and bears out there because they attacked, they tried to attack the sheep. And David told, told Saul that, that he had been able to defeat them by his faith in God. So David had developed a relationship with God. And we see a lot of that as you read through the Psalms. David had a real relationship with God. When he was upset about something, he told God he was upset about it, something. When he was discouraged, he told God he was discouraged. And so many of the wonderful worship songs we have are based on his his heart. This book of Psalms is, is a man pouring his heart out to God, and this is a man who knew God, who knew God's character and God's nature. Let's go to Psalm 107, 103. Can you put up verse 7? I didn't highlight it for you, but can you try to put up verse 7? If not, I can read it. Verse, verse, let me see, it's not verse 7. It's verse, yeah, 7. It says, it says, Israel knew God's deeds and Moses knew God's ways. Moses was a man who knew God, and he knew God's ways. He knew God's character, and he knew God's heart. And David was like that. God, David knew God's ways. He knew how to talk to God. He knew what God was like. Now, nobody fully understands God, but he knew God's heart and God's character. And I say that because now we're going to go back to verses 1 through 2. And David writes these famous verses we love. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So he's singing about a God he knows his nature and character. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Stay there a second. Notice benefits is plural. 
It's not benefit. It's benefits. There's God, God's blessings has more than one benefit. Now, they're not going to have this verse back there, but there's a verse that, that I got healed on this verse once. <clears throat> it's Romans 8, 32. For, God, if God, for he who withheld not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? Paul is telling us in that verse that when God gave his son for us, he gave us everything else that he had also. God emptied out his pockets, so to speak, for us. He was spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also together with him freely, freely give us all things? So religion gives us this idea that God gave us some benefits, but he's holding some others back. But that's not what the scriptures say. That's not his character. God's not holding things back. Now, if we're not receiving, we'll talk about that later. But we got to first, it starts with understanding God's character, the way he reveals himself. So now go back to Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits. Now he's going to start to list them. We're only going to look at two. Verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities. All your iniquities. And most Christians have no trouble believing that he forgives all our iniquities. But the next part of that verse is just as true. And who heals all your diseases. Because if his heart is to remove sickness from us, because sickness kills, steals, and destroys. If his heart is to remove sickness from us, his heart, I'm not saying what we experience yet, his heart, we're looking at his heart. If his heart is to remove things from us that are causing us to be stolen from, killed, and destroyed, if that's his heart, if that's his heart, Everything else that we need to know about him has to be based on that foundation. And here is a man who knew him, who rejoices that he forgives all your iniquities and he heals all your diseases. Okay. Let's go on. John chapter 1. Now what we're going to look at what we've been looking at so far is what God's character is like when it comes to this subject because of things that he's said to people or has been said through people. Now what happens, in John chapter 1 we see, this is the incarnation, and the word became flesh. Now let's stop there a second. John refers to Jesus before he became a man being born in, from Mary, as the Word. It's the Greek word logos, which means the full expression of a concept or idea, or when it refers to a person, the full expression of their character and of their nature. So John is teaching us here that the second person of the Godhead was the full expression of the Father's nature and character. We might use the expression when talking about a son, well, he's a chip off the old block. He's just like his father. Well, that's really what this is saying. And the word, the full expression of God the Father became flesh, took on human flesh and dwelled among us. God now became a man, a human being, fully human. So he could be seen, he could be heard, 
He could be touched, and he could be touched by him. And we beheld his glory. We could now see or behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So now in in this study that we're doing tonight, where we're looking at the character of God, especially regarding this subject of healing, now we'll have a the clearest insight we can have of God's character and nature because now God became a man and we could behold what he's like. We could hear him speak. We could see his actions. We could be touched by him and we could touch him. They could. So let's look at just some of these scriptures. I'm going to go through some. They're not going to have them because there are too many to put up there. John 5, 19, Jesus said, Therefore Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. So the Son, on this earth, he cannot do anything unless he's already seen his Father doing it. For whatever the, fa- whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. That's John 5.19. John 8.29 He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John 12, 45. And he who beholds me, beholds the one who sent me. And one of my favorite, they're going to put up John 14. This is when when, uh, Philip has come to Jesus and said, well, if there's a, show us the Father. And Jesus said these words to him. Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know me yet? I mean, these are men that had lived with him for three and a half years. They said, you really don't know who I am yet? He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He didn't yet understand that in order to know what the Father's like, now he had a physical image. He could know what the Father's character and nature is like. Do, not be, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Look at this. The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. In other words, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at the works that I've done because it's the Father doing those works in me. It's the Father, this is the next verse. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Jesus is saying, if you want to know what the Father's like, look at me and look at what I have done. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. They're not going to put it up there. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That's another subject. That they may not see the light or the truth of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Colossians 1, 15. He is the image. That literally is the word icon. He is the physical representation of an invisible, of an invisible God. And one of my favorites is Hebrews 1. Let's put that up there. In these last days, he has spoken. So uh, Hebrews begins by saying, talking about that this is a comparison of Christ to angels and Moses and other things. And he's saying, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. 
In other words, God's revealed himself to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory. Now let's break that down. The word brightness is a word that means effluence. It means a radiation. And there's a difference. The moon... The moon we get to see some days, some nights it's a full moon, then we get a crescent moon, and then we get a new moon. And that's not because the moon has changed or done anything. It's because the earth moves around and the angle of the sun hitting the moon is either full or it's hindered or it's blocked out completely. Why? Because the moon does not generate any light of its own. The only light you see of the moon is reflected light. The power source of that light is the sun. And it's so powerful when nothing's in its way and we look at it that the power of the light of the sun bounces off that moon surface into your eyes and we look at the beautiful full moon. But that's not what this word means. This word refers to something that doesn't have the source of the light but has absorbed the light, and the only best example I can use, and younger people will have, have, have well, I've got a, maybe you can understand this. I got a watch a number of years ago called a, uh, uh, an echo watch. That doesn't mean it echoes, it's ecological. Because it, it, it doesn't have a battery that you've got to throw out and, and ruin the environment. It has a solar battery. So what this, what this does is it absorbs energy from the, from the light that's around us. But not only that, but when it's dark, the, the numerals glow. But they don't glow because they're reflected light, because they'll glow in the dark when I turn the, the, the bedroom light out, because the light's coming from inside of it. It's been absorbed. The energy has been absorbed, and now it's radiating it back. That's what that word means. So Christ is the outshining of the Father's glory. He, look at this, he is the express image of his person. Remember what he said to Philip, if you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here the writer of Hebrews is saying, he is the exact express, that means complete image of the Father's person or character or nature upholding all things by the word of his power when he made when he by ourselves by himself purged our sins he sat on at the right hand of majesty on high sat down at the right hand of majesty on high so the bible again is telling us that now god to communicate his character and nature all we have to do is look at what his son was like when he walked on the earth because God was using him to communicate and express his character and his nature and his will. All right. So what does is, what is Jesus' life tell us about his character and nature and will? Put Matthew 9 up there. This, we looked at this last week. And I, I want to show this because th- this is not one incident. It says Jesus was went, or some translations say, was going about all the cities and villages. This is Matthew 9. 
In Matthew 4, there's another version of this when he started. It says all the villages and cities of Galilee in the northern province, but this carries it even farther. So Jesus' practice, his normal practice of ministry is what Matthew's talking about here. Jesus went about or was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching. That word means proclaiming the gospel. That means the good news of the kingdom. So he's teaching in the synagogues, which is we're doing teaching now, but he's also proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And we talked about this, and healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease among the people. So a major part of Jesus' ministry was teaching, proclaiming, and then removing sickness from people's myths. It's all part of God's character and nature. I look at it this way. God, it's awful as if God's saying, now I'm on the earth. I'm in a human being. I'm in flesh. I can do what I want to do. Up until now, I've got to move through prophets. I've got to move through people who don't hear me well. But now I can do what I want to do, and I can have at it. Unrestricted, except by, we'll talk about this, except by their unbelief. But my will can now be fully expressed because I'm living inside of a human being and I can do what I want to do as long as they'll allow me to do it. So the healings, I was kind of raised to believe that Jesus healed a few people and he healed to prove that he was the Son of God. We talked a little bit about that last week. We'll probably talk some more about this. So that's one example of what he was doing. Let's go look at Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Now this is after he's been raised from the dead. This is the story where, where the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of Peter, and that takes some work, gotten a hold of Peter, and he sent him over to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but to a Jew in that day, that meant everything because the Jews would not even talk to Gentiles. They considered them unclean. They had no covenant with God. Not only is Cornelius a Gentile, he's a Roman officer. So he would never have anything to do with it, and God has to give him a vision and speak to him on the rooftop and say, there are men coming from Cornelius' house and I want you to go and I want you to tell them this gospel because what you've considered unclean, I'm now declaring is clean. And so Peter's going over there. He's just following what God's telling him to do and he gets over there and Cornelius, this Roman officer, who was a devout man, he'd been praying, he'd been giving alms, he was sincerely seeking to know God, and God has now responded to his heart's cry and sent Peter over there, and Peter now is recounting to them who this Jesus is that he is now going to lead them into. And Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I now perceive that God shows no partiality. In other words, he's not showing partiality to the Jews, but this gospel is going to be open to everyone. Next verse. But in every nation, whoever fears or respects and works Righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, this is what we're talking about, preaching peace. By the way, peace means wholeness, not just a lack of, of strife. The word peace in Greek is the word arani. It means to knit a, a garment together that's been torn. It means to restore something to wholeness. 
the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which has that same basic meaning. So when we, we talks about preaching peace, he's not just talking about, you know, everybody calm down, let's, let's get peaceful now. He's talking about bringing an inner peace, a wholeness back, restoring a wholeness to preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He's introducing Christ to, to Cornelius and his family. That the word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, then began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How This was the message. This was the message. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Remember what God promised Israel. He said, if you will serve me, I will remove sickness from your midst. And the whole message tonight is God's character, God's desire, and there, where we allow him. We'll talk about that later on. We've got to first of all see what God's will is like, what God's character is. God's desire and character is to remove from your life anything that is destroying you, anything that kills, steals, or destroys, anything that's a result of the curse that comes into your life as a result of of the fall and the condition that's in the world. And part of that is he said, and I will remove sickness from your midst. And here Peter's testimony of him is he went about, he was anointed by God through the Holy Spirit, and he went around doing good. Notice what God calls good. Doing good and healing all, and notice where the source of it was, who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God was with him. First John chapter 3. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or was brought here, that he might destroy the works of the devil or the evil one, some translations say. And we just saw the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Sickness comes from Satan. We just saw that in Acts chapter 10. That's the testimony. So Jesus came to destroy the works, not the work, the works. All of his works he came to destroy. Jesus' last words from the cross when the price was paid was, it is finished. The work he came to do was finished, which was to destroy the authority of Satan over mankind. Galatians 3, verse 13. Remember, we're looking at what Christ did when he said, the works that I do, if, you, if you've seen the, the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You'd know him by the works that he did through me. We're looking at the works that he did. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed it is everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, we're not going to take the time tonight, but that curse of the law is listed in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The first 14 or 15 verses talk about the blessing. When God established the law and his covenant with Israel, he, and this is, goes into blood covenant, but he had one of them stand, a group of them stand on one side, on one hill on one side, and the other on the hill on the other side, and he recited the blessings of the covenant made with them, and he recited the cursing if they disobeyed it. And part of that cursing is different kinds of sickness and disease. And the last statement in there, and every other sickness that's not listed in the book of the law. 
So sickness and disease is part of the curse that is in the earth, and Christ came to redeem us from that, from all that's listed in there. There's emotional suffering that's in there. There's physical suffering that's in there. There's, there's, there's poverty that's in there. God came to send Christ to redeem us. And I will remove sickness from your midst. I will remove sickness from your midst. All right, that's great. But what good does that do us now? I mean, I remember reading stories, and last time I taught on this, we had one old session where we, I, I, we, we played this, it's an old, very old TV show called You Were There with Edward R. Murrow. And he would, he would bring you back into some uh, recreation of some historical event and interview people that were there. And so what we did is we, we pretended we were doing that except we were going to a scene where Jesus was hearing, healing multitudes. And, and we imagined that, that we were part of that multitude. Because remember, in those multitudes, he healed everybody. He healed everybody that came for healing. There is not one instance in the Bible where Jesus said no to somebody, with one exception, and that was the Syrophoenician woman. And the reason he said no to her is because he was bringing something out of her. Because when she challenged him, he then said, your faith is great. By the way, there are only two people that I remember that Jesus said had great faith, and neither of them were Jews. There was the centurion. He said, you, your faith is great. I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. And then there was the Syrophoenician woman. She was from Syria. And, and when he said, when she brought her, her daughter to be healed because she was demon-possessed, she brought him to the disciples, and they, they wouldn't do anything. So she goes to complain to Jesus, and, and she says, he's bothering. They say, he's bothering, he's bothering us. Send her away. So he sends her, goes to send her away, and, and she basically challenges him. And he said, well, he said, you know, I, I didn't come. I, I came to give the children's bread. And she's challenging. She said, but even the bread falls on the floor, and the dogs get to eat it. So she would not say no. And because of that faith, he responded, and her daughter was... So there's not one person that came to Jesus, not one account, over thousands that came to Jesus that asked for healing, that he turned away, or said, you know, you need to keep this because there's something you need to learn out of this. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because it's the Father in me that does the works. I don't ever say anything I didn't hear my father say, and I don't ever do anything I didn't see my father doing. So there's no scriptural basis for the teaching that, well, God put sickness on you to teach you something. That's man's tradition. Because there would have to be at least one instance where Jesus did that because he only did what his father would do. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Well, okay, I remember reading all that and saying, that's great. So, oh, the reason for going through that story, you were there, is, is imagine if you, if you had a condition in your body and you were struggling with whether or not you're going to heal, and you're sitting in a crowd of hundreds of people, and they're all being healed, you will not have too much trouble imagining when it comes to be your turn that you're going to receive that healing also. And yet that's God's will today, just as much as it was when Jesus walked on the earth. But what good does that do us? I mean, we're talking about what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago. What good does that do 
us? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because we're going to go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and we'll just get started in here tonight. Isaiah 53 is, is, is known as the great redemptive chapter. Isaiah is, is, is the Old Testament version of the gospel done prophetically. And this is, this is the chapter that the Jews, the Jewish scribes didn't understand because they were looking for the Messiah to come and give them victory over whoever oppressed them. And at that time, it was Rome. What they did not understand, what this chapter represents, is that he would deliver them through his suffering in their place. He would be the substitute for their, for their suffering. So Isaiah, Isaiah understands by the Spirit. This is a, a spiritual revelation that he has. He may not have understood in his mind what he was saying, but the Spirit in him and on him was speaking from the Spirit's point of view of what was being accomplished on the cross. And we're only going to look, we're only going to look at, at part of it. And he was despised and rejected by men. So he's clearly talking about Christ and his crucifixion. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Keep going. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We were healed. Well, pastor, that's good, but what's that got to do with what you're talking about? Well, let's go back to verse 3. Uh, verse, yes, verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The sorrows is literally in the Hebrew the word pains, and the word griefs is literally in Hebrew the word sicknesses. Now, I'm not going to have the time, spend the time tonight to go back and to break that down for you. We're going to do that, we're going to do ne- next time. But literally, in fact, if you look at literal translations, Young's literal translation, uh, um, Les- Isaac Lesser's uh, literal translation, he, for years, his was the English translation that the, that the Jews accepted, uh, and they all say the same thing. He bore our sicknesses and carried, uh, and carried our pains. And so all I'm, inter- I'm just introducing this to you tonight. Again, next week what we're going to do is we're going to go through and I'm going to show you that that's what those words mean. And I'm going to show you from a number of different sources. And again, it fits into God's character and God's nature. So literally it's saying, surely he's borne our sicknesses and carried away our pains. Now if he bore them away the same way he bore our sins, then we don't have to bear them. Romans makes it very clear that, that because he's, he's redeemed us, that sin no longer has dominion over us because he bore those sins for us. Now, you can let it have dominion over you, but it doesn't have to. But if that's hold true, then that means sickness does not have dominion over you. And we'll talk about that. But remember, remember what David wrote? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all, all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And I will remove 
sickness from the midst of you. And I suggest to you what this is teaching us is that on the cross, Christ fulfilled that promise, that heart of God, for those that would receive him and those that would accept it. Now, that raised, now if that's true, if it's true that what these verses mean is that physical healing is in the atonement just as much as forgiveness of sin is in the atonement, then that means that takes away the issue is I don't know whether it's God's will to heal me or not. Because if it's in the atonement, it's already been paid for. And this is where people struggle. They're believing God to heal them. And what the Word of God teaches is God has already provided it for us. The issue is not talking God in. It's like trying to talk God into forgiving me. I don't have to talk God into forgiving me. I have to confess my sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive me. I've got to confess it, but I don't have any doubt he's going to forgive me. Why? Because he paid for that forgiveness already. So the issue then is, is physical healing part of what Jesus did on that cross, or is it just some extra benefit that God gives us sometimes when he feels merciful? And let me explain to you why that's so critical. Because the Bible is very clear, and we're going to talk about this later on, that in order to receive anything from God, the Bible teaches us in a number of places, and James is very clear on that, in order to receive from God, you have to actually believe that it's yours, that God's given it to you. So if you're not settled in your heart, I mean, it's Jesus said, that, that, what, that therefore I say unto whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive it. Receive it when you prayed, and you shall have it. So if you're not sure that God's offered it to you, if you're not sure that it's God's will, then you don't have any basis for being confident that, that you can receive it. So when we say, well, it, you know, it, I'll pray, I want God, please heal me if it be your will, you've just undercut any possibility you have for a confidence that it's God's will. Because what are you going to base it on? Are you going to base it on whether you feel better? Because that's not faith, that's walking by sight. So my whole point here, what we're going to end with tonight, the whole point here is this is so important to establish, can we really believe that the Bible's teaching us that in the atonement where Jesus hung on that cross, where he was suffered for us, where he died and was raised from the dead, can we really believe that in what he did, he also paid for our healing and paid for the removal that he took our sicknesses on him just as much as he took our, took our sins on him? And the, so, the, so that's the first question. The second question we'll look at is, okay, pastor, if that's so, if healing is in the atonement and Jesus took it, then I got a question for you. There's times I believed it and I didn't get it. And I know people that have believed God and they weren't healed. What about that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked that. Come back next week because we're going to look, we're going to look at that and we're going to... And I don't want to try to handle that tonight because we really need to break all this down. But I want you to see why this is so important. This is all part of the character of God who does not want to see you suffer with sickness and disease. So much so, he paid, wherever he's had a chance to bring healing and restoration, wherever opportunity you give him, he's ready to do it. I'll give you a little clue. In Mark's version, Jesus goes to his own hometown, 
Jesus goes to his own hometown. And it says there, if it didn't work in the Bible, I wouldn't dare to say it, there he could do no mighty works. This is the Son of God. He could do no mighty works. Did he want to do them? Yes. Could he do them? No, except he healed a few, few people. Why? Because of their unbelief. So we do have a part to play in this process with him. But it starts with the foundation of knowing God's character and God's nature. I don't believe it's just enough to say, well, is it his will? Because when it's his character and its nature, it can't change. We read in the very beginning, he said, I am the Lord who heals you. He didn't say, I was the Lord that heals you. He didn't say, I will be the Lord that heals you. I am. And I am just the same today as I am was 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Well, we're going to end our study here tonight, but here's what I want to do this. Is there anyone here tonight that you need physical healing in your body? Just stand up, please. Okay. Let's see how I want to do this. I'm not going to call you up tonight. What I want to do is I want to have somebody go around, and even if you lay hands on each other, okay, if you find somebody you can lay hands on, we're going to pray for them right now. Make sure there's nobody standing that doesn't have somebody laying hands on them. Uh, Joanne, would you go back with them? There's people back there that, there's Priscilla, they'll pray for you. Is there anybody that's standing for healing that doesn't have... Alan, are you standing for healing? Okay, you're just standing. Oh yeah, you have to stand. All right, we're going to pray together over them, Father. I'm doing this in part because I want you to see that there's nothing special that I have. And we're going to talk about this, that that healing anointing is in you just as it is in any pastor. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. We've laid a foundation tonight to recognize that it is not your will. Whatever's in their body right now, it is not your will. And so we come to appropriate the promise that you've made to them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over that sickness and disease. We declare that you are a trespasser in the name of Jesus. And we command just as Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered. And he told his disciples, if you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. He said, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works that you do because I go to my father. Well, he's going to our father and we are believers here. And so in obedience to his word, we lay hands on them. Whatever that malady is, whatever that sickness is, in the name of Jesus, you are a trespasser in their body. We evict you in Jesus name and command you to leave their bodies now in the name of Jesus we speak healing and wholeness and strength to their bodies in the name of Jesus if you're home watching and you've got sickness in your body lay hands on wherever that is and we come into agreement with you in the name of Jesus we command that sickness to leave your body not on my authority but on the authority of the name of Jesus the works that he did he said we shall do also and we stand on his promise tonight and in the name of Jesus, we speak wholeness and health to your body. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You should have the confidence whenever you run across people. 
And they, you find out, this is a great testimony. You lay hands on them, you pray over them. Praise the Lord. Well, let's stand. We're going to pray over our offering. And uh, we're going to, are you going to play something to, to close? No, that's okay. You don't need to. Praise the Lord. We're all believers here. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you. We don't even know what's begun tonight. Seeds have been sown in our hearts and in our minds. Prayer has gone forth, and we're trusting that as we've prayed in faith and believed you, Father, that you are at work to do what we've asked you to do. And now, Father, we thank you that, that these seeds will continue to grow in our heart and our mind. We pray now, Father, for what has been given by faith tonight, tithes and offerings that have been given online, that have been, that have been placed in the, in the box, the receptacle back there.